Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have our final devotion, our final teaching in the book of Judges. This will bring a wrap to our series, Failure, Lust, and Loss. This is Judges chapter 21. Let's begin in verse 1. The men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mizpah. None of us will give his daughter to a Benjaminite in marriage. So the people went to Bethel and sat there before God until evening. They wept loudly and bitterly and cried out, Why, Lord God of Israel, has it occurred that one tribe is missing in Israel today? Okay, well, they, they know why. They, they know why. They just fought a civil war over the reason why. The next day, the people got up early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. The Israelites asked, Who of all the tribes of Israel didn't come to the Lord with the assembly? For a great oath had been taken that anyone who had not come to the Lord at Mizpah would certainly be put to death. Okay, so this was, this was uh, perhaps hinting at uh, the, the nature of what summoned everybody together in the first place in the horrifying events. That, that spurred this civil war on in the first place, uh, the, the fact that this woman's body was cut into pieces, people received pieces of the body, and it came with the understanding, think like the horse head and the godfather. If you don't, if you don't come join me for war here, then uh, you're going to be cursed. Okay, that could be what's being referred to here in, in, in verse 5 of the final chapter of Judges. But the Israelites had compassion on their brothers, the Benjaminites, and said, Today a tribe has been cut off from Israel. What should we do about wives for the survivors? We've sworn to the Lord not to give them any of our daughters as wives. All right, so that, that's the oath that is referred to right here in the first verse. None of us will give his daughter to a Benjaminite in marriage. But this was not prescribed by God. This was kind of like Jephthah's promise to sacrifice his daughter. Uh, God never said that, all right? They asked, which city among the tribes of Israel didn't come to the Lord at Mizpah? It turned out that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp and the assembly. For when the roll was called, no men were there from the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead. Man, wouldn't it stink if he actually was there, but, you know, he was playing a game on his phone, and so he missed that important roll call? That would be bad. I think what's happening here is that rather than acknowledging like we've been idolatrous, they're like some people aren't following the made-up rules that we came up with. They're, they're still kind of missing the point. We had this glimpse where they came back to the heart of the Lord, begin to worship Him, begin to fast, make offerings, consult with the priest Eleazar, and now they're getting legalistic. We just decided that no one's going to marry the Benjaminites, but who's going to take care of the Benjaminites? We feel bad for the Benjaminites. Like, you're the one who made this vow. This was your idea. And we just made this rule that said, like, everybody who's, like, anybody who misses this assembly is going to die. And then, like, who's missing from the assembly? Well, they've got to die. Again, like, God never prescribed that. They're doing still what's right in their own eyes. The congregation sent 12,000 brave warriors there and commanded them, go and kill the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the sword, including women and dependents. This is what you should do completely destroy every male as well as every woman who has gone to bed with a man. They found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not been intimate with a man, and they brought them to the camp at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. 
So remember this, uh, you know, it opens up with this vow that nobody's going to let their daughter marry a Benjaminite. And then poor uh, Jabesh Gilead is, uh, you know, they didn't send a representa- uh, representative to this meeting. And so the Israelites just decide, not based on anything the Lord said, but by their own made-up understanding, okay, then we got to go kill that whole city. But they leave the young women who have not been intimate with a man behind, and there are 400 of them. So we've got 600 Benjaminite men who remain, and we've got 400 women from Jabesh Gilead. You can see a problem brewing again. Okay, none of this was God's idea. All of this is just Israel uh, you know, coming just following whatever pops into their own mind brain head. The whole congregation sent a message of peace to the, to the Benjaminites who were at Rimon Rock. Benjamin returned at that time, and Israel gave them the women they had kept alive from Jabesh Gilead, but there were not enough for them. This is about as nice as things get in the book of Judges, especially here at the very end. The people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made this gap in the tribes of Israel. Time out. Flag on the play. The Lord, excuse me, look at this. The Lord made this gap? The Lord? The Lord made this gap? No. No. The Lord didn't make this gap. The Lord gave Benjamin over after Benjamin had become apologists for mass murderous rape for crying out loud like this is this is not god's fault in no universe of sane intelligent people is this god's fault all right you ever blame god for the consequences of your own sin all right you ever you ever blame god for what the devil did that happens all the time the devil gets off scotch free the sinners get off scotch-free. And the question is, how did God allow this? Well, like, how about holding the sinner accountable for sin? The devil for being the devil. The elders of the congregation said, what should we do about wives for those who are left since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? They said, there must be heirs for the survivors of Benjamin so that a tribe of Israel will not be wiped out. But we can't give them our daughters as wives. For the Israelites had sworn, anyone who gives a wife to a Benjaminite is cursed. Okay. Again, this vow made up. Okay. Do you remember our sermon on Jephthah? God didn't say that. Don't make up stupid vows. If you've made up a stupid vow, please repent from it. Please confess it. Okay. Especially if it's over something obviously sinful. If it's something dietary and maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you for it, then yeah, listen to the Holy Spirit's conviction. But if you've made an overtly sinful, stupid vow that is that is in contradiction with what the Word of God says, then like, yeah, like you don't even need me to say this. You're released from that vow because it was sin. Just like anyone who comes to Christianity from a pagan faith and made a stupid vow to a false god is absolved of that vow because they never should have made it in the first place. The vow was sin, and by disavowing it, they now are repenting from sin. Yeah, I mean, like, guys, just stop nullifying the word of God for the sake of your traditions. This is what Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for, and I think it's a rebuke that hits any legalistic faith system straight between the eyeballs, especially my Catholic friends. Anyone who gives a wife to a Benjaminite is cursed. Never prescribed by God. Not the word of the Lord, the word of the dude. So just stop doing that. And so they're going to come up with a terrible plan 
to to try to compensate for the uh, for the delta between the six hundred remaining Benjaminite men and the four hundred women who survived from the city that they slaughtered when they shouldn't have. <laughs> this is terrible. They also said, "Look." There's an annual festival to the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel, east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Labona. So we don't yet have the temple in Jerusalem, but three times a year, everybody should go to this tabernacle that was set up in Shiloh. Throughout the period of the Exodus, we can see at the very center of the whole structure is where God spoke with Moses as one man speaks to another. And then from there, you've got the Levites surrounding it, and then you've got all the tribes of Israel allocated around it. This was how they moved across the desert. This was the tabernacle. Now they've arrived in the promised land, but the temple isn't yet built. So this tabernacle that was sort of a temporary substitute for what would become the proper temple was in Shiloh. And as you're going to see in the text, people weren't really coming to Shiloh like they should have. They weren't really worshiping as they should have. A lot of them were really just kind of doing what was right in their own eyes. And even in the case of this text, just making up their own vows, pretending like God ordained it. You ever put words in God's mouth and then held him responsible for them? <laughs> it's kind of what's happening here. The Lord wiped out Benjamin. The Lord won't give Benjamin wives. It's like, no, that was all your idea. God's not a puppet. You can't make him say what you want and then be shocked at the words. Then they commanded the Benjaminites, go and hide in the vineyards, watch, and when you see the young women of Shiloh come out to perform the dances, each of you leave the vineyards and catch a wife for yourself from the young women of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. Man, this is the stupidest idea. This is terrible. Man, people, just, just do what God said. Just live, live out God's way. Don't make up your own stupid rules and vows and traditions and then... Man, just stick with the word of God. Life is so much better that way. These poor women. Wow. Like, take a minute. If you're my sister in Christ, just take a minute and say, like, thank you, God, that I was not born in the era of the judges. We're kind of heading that direction right now, but at least it's not this bad. When their fathers or brothers come up to us to protest, we'll tell them, show favor to them, since we did not get enough wives for each of them in battle. You didn't actually give the women to them, so you are not guilty of breaking your oath, right? Like, they had to, when you make up a technicality, you're going to have to make up a loophole to satisfy that technicality. And then when you make up, uh, when you make up a loophole to satisfy that technicality, you're going to have to explain that loophole, and you're going to have to make a corresponding loophole for another point in the law. It's just going to, like, you're never going to be done writing your own handbook. Ask the Mormons. They're still not done. Ask the Jehovah's Witnesses. They re release a publication every month. Like, just ask, ask, ask the, you know, ask anybody who adds anything onto the Word of God. You're never going to be done. Right? It, you're going to have to come up with some sort of workaround for your own addendum onto God. The Benjaminites did this and took the number of women they needed from the dancers they caught. They went back to their own inheritance, rebuilt their cities, and lived in them. At that time, each of the Israelites returned from there to his own tribe and family. Each returned from there to his own inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. So some Mensa candidate comes up with a workaround, and that is, uh, hey, when we have this festival and the women do the thing where they come out and they dance with the tambourines, you Benjaminites, just go physically grab one 
and then explain to their fathers when he gets mad at you and their brothers and they get mad at you, hey, guess what? I'm kidnapping her, so you're free from your oath. You didn't give your daughter to a Benjaminite in marriage because you vowed to the Lord for some reason not to do that, right? As a punishment against Benjamin for our sins. Uh, you know, really, you're released from your vow because, you know, I just committed an act of assault and just physically went up and kidnapped your daughter. You're welcome. Ugh. Like, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. And then the final verse just sums it up. There's no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. There it is. That's, <laughs> that's the final word in the book of Judges. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. So if you've ever thought that a relativist Mecca would be the most tolerant place in the world, it actually would look a lot like this, because this is what happens. This is how things go. There's something else that Israel proper did wrong here. They made up this vow against the tribe of Benjamin, and they took out this uh, like murderous, uh, just mass genocidal assault on on the on this this poor city. And it was because they were trying to be the administrators of justice as they saw fit. Now, we may not raid entire cities and we may not just like interrupt festivals to like physically kidnap future spouses as, as what happens here in this text. But think about the motivation behind trying to make pariahs out of the Benjaminites and then feeling bad. Like, you isolated Benjamin, and then you go before the Lord. You're like, the Lord made a gap in Israel, and they're trying to act like they're more compassionate than God. If you, if you try to, if you position yourself as though you're more compassionate than God, watch out, because you're more prideful than the Benjaminites before they got their tails kicked in that civil war. There's a lack of forgiveness, and there's this self-deputizing as the administer for retributive justice. Someone else has sinned. I'm going to take it upon myself to judge their own consequence for them. This is the opposite of what we're called to do as New Testament Christians. Think about the parable of the unforgiving servant. When this guy sees his boss and he owes him, you know, was it 10,000 denarii? And he finds a guy who owes him like a hundred talents. It's, uh, or maybe I've, I've switched those, I'm sorry. Either way, like this guy's forgiven this colossal debt and then he sees a guy who owes him a few bucks. The truth is that that man who sinned against the servant, when he pays the servant back, the servant's going to have to pay that to the master anyway. So the truth is that even, even the guy who owes the unforgiving servant money, that money really goes straight to the master. So look, when someone sins against you, they've really sinned against God. Let God deal with them. The unforgiving servant physically runs up and chokes the guy who owes him a few lousy bucks, having just been forgiven all of his debt. For that reason, this man is actually subjected to torment until he pays the last penny. And Jesus is explicit in this text, in Matthew chapter 18, that that's what our Heavenly Father will do to you if you don't forgive someone. So don't, don't make yourself the arbiter of retributive justice. I'm here to dole out punishments on God's behalf. No, don't do that. They tried to punish the tribe of Benjamin instead of letting God deal with it. So they made up a stupid vow and then they had to make up a loophole and then they ended up 
literally like uh, ordaining some sort of mass kidnapping to try to find wives for the poor Benjaminites. And, and they, they position themselves as merciful somehow. It's really, really bizarre. And the, the final verse just really sums it all up. Okay. Like they thought they were doing what was right. They thought that they were administering justice. They weren't. Okay. You might be totally convinced that punishing someone else is your job and it seems right to you. But remember the book of Judges. It may seem right to you, but you don't know their story. You don't know what God has for them. And you may be seriously overlooking your own sins for which you've been completely absolved and forgiven. So don't take retributive justice into your own hands because you suck at it. Because you and I have our own sin to deal with. And the people who sin against us are really sinning against God. God, God forgives you a billion dollar debt. And if you go after somebody over five bucks, guess what? If you get the five bucks anyway, where is it supposed to go? To the one to whom you owe five billion? <laughs> like, look, you just focus on you. Let the Lord judge. Let the Lord even separate the wheat from the weeds, the sheep from the goats. Let the Lord determine what is right and what is wrong. Let the Lord administer punishments even if it seems right to you, even if within your narrative, you're the champion of justice, you're the whistleblower, you're the one truth teller, you're the one who's going to determine how people ought to be punished for the ways that they've done wrong. That's what seems right to you. And that is precisely the motto, the axiom, the prime truth, the theme of the book of Judges. Let's not go back there. Hey, Tomorrow, we start a brand new series at the Redemption Church. It's called Strength and Courage. It's going to be a much happier book, the book of Joshua. <laughs>